This is July 17, and every day is a holiday with Mary Stone. This is our podcast celebrating every day of everyone's life. Our message is simple, and it is that we are all of one spirit. What does that mean? It means that we need to focus on our individual faith's legacy of joy, rather than sapping energy to our differences, and thus feeding our separateness. We are all of one spirit. Holidays, holy days, happy days. We celebrate life, love, loss, and legacy. This is our commonwealth. On this day, in 180, 12 inhabitants of Scillium, modern-day Tunisia, in North Africa, are executed for being Christians. This is the earliest record of Christianity in that part of the world. The Skeleton martyrs were a company of 12 North African Christians who were executed for their beliefs on July 17, 180 AD. The martyrs take their name from Scylia, a town in Numidia. The Acts of the Skeleton martyrs are considered to be the earliest documents of the Church of Africa and also the earliest specimen of Christian Latin. It was the last of the persecutions during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, which is best known from the sufferings of the churches of Vienne and Lyon in South Gaul. Marcus Aurelius died on March 17th of that year, and persecution ceased sometime after the ascension of his son Commodius. A group of sufferers called the Moderanian Martyrs seem to belong to the same period, for in the correspondence of St. Augustine, non famo, one of their number, is spoken as Archie Martyr, which appears to mean Proto-Martyr of Africa. The Martyr's trial and execution took place in Carthage under the pro-council of Publius Vigilalus Saturninus, whom Tertullian declares to have been the first persecutor of Christians in Africa. The Scylidian sufferers were twelve in all, seven men and five women. Their names were as follows, I shall do my best. Spiritus, Nartelazus, Cynthius, Veturius, Felix, Aquilinus, Latantius, Januaria, Generosa, Vestia, Donata, and Secunda. Sparatus was the principal spokesman. He claimed for himself and his companions that they had lived a quiet and moral life, paying no dues and doing no wrong to their neighbors. But when called upon to swear by the name of the emperor, he replied, quote, I recognize not the empire of this world, but rather do I serve that God whom no man hath seen, nor with these eyes can see. Unquote. The response was a reference to the language of 1 Timothy 16. In reply to the question, what are the things in your satchel? He said, books and letters of Paul, just a man. The martyrs were offered a delay of 30 days to reconsider their decision, which they all refused. The fame of the martyrs led to the building of a basilica in their honor at Carthage. Australian theology lecturer Michael Jensen writes, it is now universally acknowledged that 
in contemporary liberal society, the power to change lies with the victims. You simply aren't anybody until you can demonstrate that you are someone's victim. As Candida Moss argues in her book, The Myth of Persecution, How Early Christians Invented the Story of Martyrdom, this tactic has been bequeathed to Western culture by Christianity. Moss sees Christianity as a faith with a victim mentality, which nourishes its founding legend as a persecuted church, even while that church now enjoys power, wealth, and status. She finds the persecution complex all the more troublesome because the American religious right has embraced it as a motif. Any criticism of Christianity is thus construed as some type of spiritual attack, which in turn becomes a powerful vindication of its cause. But for Moss, this is where things go badly awry because the victim mentality leads, in her reading, inorganically to the justification of vengeance. It is a small step from honoring the martyrs to avenging them, and many seem prepared enough to make it, especially in the American culture wars. Blood brings forth blood. M Moss writes, the traditional history of martyrdom is a myth, a myth that gives Christians who deploy it the rhetorical high ground, but a myth that makes dialogue impossible. The recognition that the idea of the Christian martyr is based in legend and rhetoric rather than history and truth reveals that many Christians have been and remain committed to the conflict and opposition in their interaction with others. For this reason, Moss sketches out a kind of deconstructive genealogy of the idea of martyrdom in Christian self-consciousness going back to the earliest martyrological texts and showing how deliberately constructed they were. The most famous martyr stories of the early church, such as those of Polycarp and Perpetua, were not written by eyewitnesses, Moss contends, and contain a great deal of material clearly invented to create the impression of a people noble and resilient under the attacks of the local authorities. Furthermore, she argues, the rate of persecution in the Roman Empire of the early Christian era was far less than often supposed. Outbreaks of persecution were sporadic and localized, rather than constant and ubiquitous. Governors were less interested in the Christians than the Christians appeared to think they were. Food for thought. Also on this day, in 1896, Bhagavan Sri Ramana Maharshi, the Indian sage at age 16, spontaneously initiates a process of self-inquiry that culminates within a few minutes in his own permanent awakening. Ramana Maharshi was an Indian sage and Jivan Mukta, one who gained and assimilated self-knowledge, thus is liberated with an inner sense of freedom while living. He was born in Tamil Nadu, India. In 1895, an attraction was aroused in him to the holy hill, Arun Achala, a place of Shiva himself that bestows self-knowledge, and the 63 Nayanars, a group of 63 saints, also saint poets, in the 6th 
to 8th century of devoted, devoted to the Hindu god Shiva in Tamil Nadu. And in 1896, at the age of 16, he had a death experience where he became aware of a current or force, avasam, which he recognized as his true I or self, which he later identified as Ishvara. This resulted in a state that he later described as the state of mind of Ishwara or Janani. Six weeks later, he left his uncle's home in Madurai and journeyed to the holy mountain of Aranchala, where he took on the role of Sanye Asan and remained for the rest of his life. He soon attracted devotees who regarded him as an avatar and came to him for Darshan, the sight of God. And in later years, an ashram grew up around him where visitors received apadesa, spiritual instruction, by sitting silently in his company and raising their concerns and questions. Since the 1930s, his teachings have been popularized in the West, resulting in worldwide recognition as an enlightened being. Ramana Maharshi approved to a number of paths and practices, but recommended self-inquiry as the principal means to remove ignorance and abide in self-awareness, together with bhakti, devotion, or surrender to the self. World Day for International Justice, also referred to as Day of International Criminal Justice, or International Justice Day, is an international day celebrated throughout the world on July 17 as part of an effort to recognize the emerging system of international criminal justice. July 17th was chosen because it is the anniversary of the adoption of the Rome Statute, the treaty that created the International Criminal Court. Each year, people around the world use this day to host events to promote international criminal justice, especially support for the International Criminal Court. The day has been successful enough to attract international news attention and for groups to use the day to focus attention on particular issues, such as genocide in Darfur, Falun Dafa, and serious crimes of violence against women. We use emojis every day, so why not celebrate them? Welcome to World Emoji Day. Join in the celebration on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook using the hashtag World Emoji Day. July 17th is famously displayed on the iOS calendar emoji, which is why we choose it as the date for World Emoji Day. So you see, there's always a holiday somewhere on this planet. Find a reason for joy and share it. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Mary Stone, the irreverent interfaith reverend, with my writing partner, the Holy Mess and Holy Nice, Brian O'Malley.